quiet and I'm so down broadcasting. Welcome to the podcast. So there I was. It's how all great aviation tales begin. This is episode 66. What's the title of this one, Fig? Full throttle. And we'll get into why here in just a minute. Sponsor this week is a new one, Babel at babel.com slash so there I was. I'll talk more about it during the show. Get 55% off on learning a new language. Speak a new language in as little as three weeks at babel.com slash so there I was. Also, while we're talking about spending money, we've got five people spending money on us new this week, Fig. That's Jonathan Knuckles. New call sign for you, Jonathan Knuckles. Dagger. (laughs) (laughs) Well done, Fig. Justin Lundberg-Neff. Our friend Vapor, Chuck Thompson, and Scott Southard, all new pilots on Patreon. Thank you, gentlemen, for stepping yes. up and helping put fuel in our engine to keep us coming to you. Thank you, gentlemen. Where else can they spend money, Fig? Well, we've got a merch store. Yeah. So there I was. Dot US slash merch. Exactly. Hats, koozies, polo shirt, bikini, drinking glasses, yeah, coffee bikini. mugs. Yeah. Did I mention bikini? Go get, yeah, bikini? go get your girlfriend a bikini. Don't tell your wife. Don't don't tell your wife. <laughs> or get your wife a bikini and don't tell your girlfriend. Get them both a bikini and just don't let them meet. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it will not end well for you. Hey, we have a glossary. I put up a couple new terms up there this week. UPT, undergraduate pilot training, which is what the Air Force calls it because uh, Intake was talking about a friend of his. A Buno. A B-U-N-O or a bureau number, which is what's on the side of an aircraft, the serial number of an airplane. Fig, you sent me a photo this week. That was really cool. Do you remember what that was? Yeah. Uh, Put you on the spot. That's okay. It was uh, a photo of one of our listeners. Somebody took a picture of him as he had his phone out tuned into, so there I was. They were on top of Mount Fuji. That is cool. So here's what I want you to do. Send us your pictures where you're listening to the podcast. Hopefully not a picture, a selfie while driving. Don't do that. Or or may, maybe not on the commode. That's yeah. No, we don't need to see that either. We don't need to see that. <laughs> but send us a picture of a cool place you are when you're listening to the show, and we'll get it up on the website. That'll be fun. But how would they send that to us? Hmm. Well, uh, let me see. Fig at, so there I was, dot U-S. Nice. Or repeat at so there I was dot us or sticks at so there I was dot us exactly especially with questions about the whirling dervish of death, <laughs> aka a helicopter. Hey, let's talk about this week's show. This was a a fun show for me. I really enjoyed it. I started off on a low note talking about a friend, Jungle Jim Ross, who once flew on the Blue Angels, who uh, passed away recently, and he was also an acquaintance of our guest intake yeah and intake kind of turned it around on you he, he it's, did it's, it's, it's really not a low note let's talk about how great he was because the man was a legend he was legendary and you know what to be legendary in the blue angels now that's saying something and that's saying something right there. that's the way he was he actually had uh, an unusual blue angel career he wound up doing four seasons with the blues he got called back after he left so he flew both the a4 and the hornet with the blues that's pretty cool. Yeah. So, but back back to this week's story. So we talked to Intake. We normally don't mention names, but his name is Scott Cartfett, and he is the author of a book. 
Entitled or Throttle? From Blue Angels to Hollywood Stunt Pilot. Available at Amazon or your favorite bookstore. Enough of the shameless plugs. <laughs> Go buy the book. <laughs> it looks great. Yeah, it looks book. like a great book. After talking to Intake, I, I'm going to buy it and I'm going to send it to him for an autograph. And at some point, I failed to do so. I will get his address up on our website, so there I was.us, in the blog post for this episode 66. So you too can send your copy of Full Throttle to Scott for signature. And 20% of the profits go where, Fig? Not to me, as I recall. Not to you. No, sir. No, sir. Uh, <laughs> Not to him. They go to, they got, no, they don't. They actually, they go to the Blue Angels Foundation uh, that we learned. He is a, a member of the board on and very active and passionate about it. And once you hear why, you will be too. It funds, it's funding for uh, veterans, uh, you know, to prevent uh, veteran suicide, to help deal with PTSD and uh, all other kind of issues that veterans need extra help with. Right. It's just an outstanding organization. And I didn't even know about it until um, we, we, we talked to him. Uh, no, nor did I. They have a five-star rating. Uh, they have no overhead. Uh, their profits all go, they all work for free. So their profits go right to the organization's recipients. Imagine that. Hold on. You donate money and it all goes to the cause you're donating it to? Yeah, right. <laughs> we, weird. Yeah. Weird. Oh, you mean uh yeah, the board the board of directors members aren't 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 being paid to be on the board. Yeah. Exactly. No. It's blueangelsfoundation.org. Well, there's more of that on the on the uh, podcast, but wow, what a what a great um, what a great opportunity uh to pl- shamelessly plug that organization. This story actually goes way way back because he was one of your flight students 30 plus years ago. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's weird. Makes me feel really old. Uh, but yeah, that's a, that's that's true. Back uh, in Kingsville, BT-22, he was an A-4, TA-4 uh, student when I was a TA-4 instructor. Nice. nice. And then uh, he went off, flew Hornets, had a pretty cool early career. I think he said VFA-192, VFA. I think it was. Uh, and at Sugi, Japan, they were on and off the carrier a lot. So he got a lot of hours and he got a lot of traps, over 600 traps on a carrier. Well, you say we get out of the way and let's let intake story. go? Because it come, he comes out of the chute fast. Here comes intake. Don't sit on the, the ejection handle. You may need it. Don't do it. On the tanker, through the weather. Oh, and to the uh, tanker crew who uh, did that. Thanks a lot. We really appreciated that. I'm just kidding. No, I'm not. There I was crossing the pond, and you could see that I wasn't exactly fun. So there I was, 5,000 feet over El Centro, California, Blue Angel number six, inverted, pulling down perpendicular to the Earth's surface. Our minimum altitude is 2,000 feet. I look into the heads-up display of my F-18, and I am at 1,100 feet, 10,000 foot per minute rate of descent, and that was January 16th, 2001. <laughs> and yet he's still here, but that is how all great aviation tales begin. 
Welcome, dear listeners, to another episode of So There I Was. This is Repeat coming to you from New Hampshire this evening, this morning, this afternoon, whatever time it is when you're listening. We're so glad you joined us, and we can't believe how much fun we're having, and we hope you're having as much fun as well, because this show is just growing. So thanks for sharing it, and let me hand it over right now to the person who invited this week's guest on, my co-host. Oh, you see how, you see that take? He just threw me right under the bus. Hey, uh... We, yeah. Great. This is your hey, fault. Listen, this is going to be. I, oh, it's me. He threw, he threw me under no, the bus because I invite. Come on. We've been trying. Well, I, I personally. So now you got to be good. No pressure. Trying to get intake uh, on our show for about six months. Uh, and I finally cornered him and he's motivated to do it now. So without further ado, welcome intake. I, I tell you what, repeat fig. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm fired up about this podcast. Uh, and as naval aviator, no doubt there won't be enough time for all of the there I was stories that the oh. three of us have. But we'll squeeze in the good ones for sure. Absolutely. It came up actually during a little bit of a pre-show chat. I'm going to take this from an, a high fun to a nasty oh, sad right off the bat. Sorry to do it, folks. But I want to mention a friend of mine who... Back when uh, my oldest was about three years old, I was distressed because I was going to have to go to training and be away from him for about six weeks when a gentleman by the name of Jungle, Jim Ross, opened his home and had me and my three-year-old son stay with him and his family and his bride, Olga, watched my son and uh, his oldest boys, Kyle and Connor, spent some time with my son and that hospitality has not been forgotten. They also have a daughter, uh, Michael Sue, and then uh, Hadley. And I want to mention them and ask you all to keep them in your prayers. Jungle Jim Ross recently passed. He was a fantastic friend and an incredible Blue Angel, the stuff of legend I'm given to understand, even more so than I knew before from intake. So, um, so thank you for indulging me with that, folks. Yeah, repeat. I, I don't think that's a sad story at all because Jungle lived a legendary life. There have been about 280 uh, Blue Angel pilots with the team in the 77 years since they started in 1946. And Jungle is one of the most well-known stick and throttle, incredible aviators. And that is saying a lot. Uh, And I say that with great humility. I had never met him. He was a solo pilot. I was a solo pilot. I'd heard these legendary stories, one of which that he was inverted, flew inverted all the way from Houston to Pensacola on the way back from a show. Uh, but I'd never met him and didn't have the opportunity to confirm it. So I was number five in 2002. Fast forward to 2022, 20 years later, 2021 at the 75th anniversary. And some of his teammates were giving a presentation. And so we all got in the elevator and there's this kind of scraggly little old guy, really long hair, members only jacket. But I turned to the guys that were dressed a little nicer, given the presentation. I said, hey, I'm Scott Cartfett. Uh, I know Jungle Ross was on your team. I'd love to ask him if some of his stories are true. I heard he flew inverted from Houston, Pensacola. And they said, well, why don't you ask him? He's standing (laughs) right next to you. So I turned right next to this guy. He's about this big, long hair. And I said, hey, Jungle, I'm intake. And he goes, yeah, it's true. (laughs) And uh, that's how I met Jungle Ross. So, uh, yeah, the passing of him is tragic uh, and any loss for his family, for sure. But I'm sure Jungle is smiling down on us and every other naval aviator, knowing the uh, incredible lives that we have had to live and that those that are starting out in naval aviation get to live. 
sir. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. What a, a true legend and a true gentleman in every sense of the word. And so he will be missed, but boy, there's a guy who lived life to the fullest. You know, it sounds yeah. like you might've lived, uh, some, uh, full, full life, full life. Would you say full throttle life? <laughs> A full throttle life is documented right here in my yeah, new baby. book, Full Throttle, from Blue Angels to Hollywood Stuff. All right, for the listeners, that's the only shameless plug I'm going to make. Oh, we're going to get more in. Not oh, I'm, uh, I'm going to coax a couple more out of him. Either Absolutely. that or I'm, I'm going to do it for him because it's an awesome book. Right on. All right. right on. So, Well, I got a lot of questions for you. A lot of questions. Well, what's, the, what's the first question we always ask, though, Fick? Well, how did you get interest, interested in flying and take? Yeah, so probably like so many of our generation. No, This is no joke, and nobody ever believes it. I saw Top Gun <laughs> my senior year in high school. My best friend Bob and I told all of our buddies, like a boisterous 18-year-old would, we're going to fly fighters. Uh, and I went to Pepperdine, became an accountant, and he went to San Diego State and got his UPT slot uh, with Air Force ROTC. And he called me and he said, hey, Scott, I'm doing it. We said we were going to do it. I'm doing it. And I said, okay, I'll do it too. And I literally hung up the phone, pulled out the yellow pages, flipped through it, called the Navy recruiter and said, hey, I want to fly airplanes off of ships. And uh, I and from that call, I had a uh, most fortunate career. It was unbelievable. And then, and so was that, what year was that? So you, you saw Top Gun when you were a, a senior. That was May 1986, and uh, 33 years later, uh, July of 2019, I was flying as a stunt pilot in Maverick. I'm sure we'll get to that, too. Is that crazy? Is that crazy? That's awesome. And so Pepperdine, so are you a California guy? Are you California? Uh, San Diego. California? That's awesome. All right. Well, of course, yeah. Of course you wanted to be a Top Gun guy. Why not? All right, so uh, your uh, commission source was AOCS, right? Yeah, so I applied to be a pilot, uh, paid for college myself, uh, applied to the Navy as a pilot only, got accepted. I'd worked for a large accounting firm for about a year, and uh, this was 1991 timeframe, so Desert Storm had just kicked off, and I went to AOCS at the end of 1991, August, commissioned in November, started flight training in December of 1991, and uh, went full throttle for the next 22 years, uh, just accelerating along the way because the military offers just incredible opportunities. Our paths crossed in Kingsville, right? Yeah. Oh, uh, you no were one of the instructors, right. right? Were you in VT22 or VT21? 22. And so were Gold you needles, a. Baby. a were you a, a T-45 student or a TA-4 student? I was TA-4. I was one of the last of the scooter drivers. Okay. So I was still flying. Yeah, so that's where we passed. I was, um, I was. well, I was there. I was there during that time frame. I was yeah. there from 93 to 96. You, you might oh, say we so there were he was. there the whole time. Yeah, we were there right. the whole time. Together. In fact, for my kids, Wyatt and Nick, one of them was a Golden Eagle VT-22, now flying Super Hornets out of Lamore. And the other that's one, awesome. Uh, VT-21 flying T-45. Uh, and he has selected jets also, so uh, super proud of him. Oh, that. that's outstanding. Very cool. Well, you know, it makes me, uh, I'm, I'm envious because I, you know, I have three sons all grown and adults, and not, not, not a single one of them ever want anything to do with an airplane. <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. yeah. In my case, I, I've got three, and, and it's uh, the middle one is my daughter, who's the one who's soloed in gliders at 15 and is now at Riddle. 
uh, oh fabulous working on a commercial this week in fact so so if either you have a quarter million you, you can loan me and by loan i mean give me and not take back yeah, but- <laughs> you just let me know <laughs> It in intake will probably write you a check once his book goes. Yeah, right. You know, that book's investors. going high. Oh, yeah, yeah, the yeah. Uh, he's going to have money coming throttle. out of his ears. Go out and buy his book so my daughter can go to college. Full <laughs> talk about full throttle, full <laughs> throttle. Who's making the plug now, repeat. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I told you we're going to talk about this the whole way through. <laughs> oh, beautiful. So I selected F-18s, uh, and I think I saw a picture. Uh, you must have been in your first fleet squadron because um, you had uh, lieutenant bars on still, and you were sitting, you were kind of in the back row on the right because you're kind of a tall guy, so you're always probably in the back row or you know right. somewhere in the back right. And uh, there was it was on the deck of an aircraft carrier. Uh, I don't USS know if you know what picture. In- USS Independence. Was that your uh, first? Was that your first uh, squadron? It was, yeah, overseas Japan, based out of Atsugi with VFA-192. Unbelievable experience as a young fledgling carrier aviator because we were at sea eight months a year. It was a phenomenal, foundational type of experience for naval aviation. I think I read you were only able to get about 4,000 hours in the Hornet. Slacker. I felt a little short of the (laughs) 4,000 hours at about a one point. One per zero of sortie. <laughs> yeah, That's a lot so of get getting in and getting out. This is a crazy statistic uh, that rarely ever comes up. But since you brought up the four thousand, I when I was on the Blues, I had one airplane for uh, two years, oh, and I have okay. about nine hundred and eighty hours in one Buno number one six one nine six three. And I really wish That's I would have got a thousand hours. I would have put that patch, as you know, with just the Buno number in that one airplane. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, well, I don't want to skip ahead too much, but uh, how how is it you wound up uh, with the Blues? Well, you know what? Uh, you did. Well, no, no. Hold on a second. Okay. Let's let, let's get there. So, yeah. Uh, let's don't skip it. Let's see. Two. You see, three combat tours. No, five combat tours. Five, so you two got to your you got right. You got to your first fleet squadron in ninety seven. Ninety five. So February 95, okay. I showed up in Atsugi, okay. and that's a forward-deployed unit. So for the listeners, you know, they're kind of the North Korean watchdog, China at the time, uh, Taiwanese operations, and it was just a presence all the time. And so we were yeah. gone about eight months a year, but it was two weeks at a time. We treated our staterooms on the ship like an apartment. Oh, uh, that's cool. Keep, uh, it was really great. So you'd go out for two weeks, come in for a week, go out for three weeks, come home for four weeks, and you just constantly in and out for the whole three years that I was there. But during that time in September of 95 is when we went over to support Operation Southern Watch, which was uh, combat tour number one. Okay. Okay. Nice. Then, uh, so, uh, well, where were you on, uh, I'm jumping ahead a little bit. Where were you on 9-11? So 9-11, I was in Blue Angel number six. Oh, okay. It was a uh, Tuesday, if memory serves. Uh, we're yeah. practicing at NES Pensacola. We had done our brief, getting ready to do our practice, and we're walking back through uh, the pilot room, and we see that an airplane has hit one of the World Trade Towers. And all of us thought, okay, it's just some poorly trained dentist or doctor. That's exactly what I thought, man. Yeah. And so we jump into the airplanes and we're getting ready to take off. 
And in the time that we walked to the jets, the, the diamond was literally in a loop at the top of the loop, which is their takeoff maneuver. Five and six have taken the runway. And our maintenance officer calls, knock it off, knock it off, because he had just gotten word that the FAA had shut down all airspace in the United States. Uh, and so we, five and six, never got airborne. One through four land, we go back in and we realize that the second tower had been hit. Now they're on the verge of collapsing. And uh, interestingly, as combat pilots, we immediately go into operational mode, just as I'm sure that you gentlemen did. And uh, in the Korean War, the Blue Angels were converted to VF-191 Satan's Kittens, and they actually decommissioned for a year and went to the Korean War. And so we were looking at recommissioning as Satan's Kittens, uh, and it takes about 72 hours to combatize a Blue Angel jet, put the gun back in, take the smoke tank out, repaint it. And uh, we, we spent uh, a solid two weeks uh, putting that plan together in the event that we were needed for operations. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Hold on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You got to repaint the jet though. You can't look cool with your palm in the air. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the, uh, the uh, automotive blue and gold paint that is waxed yeah. is not radar absorbent. Well, you would be a surface to air missile that's weird. sponge. That's just weird. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, it's the saying in naval aviation. It's better right. to look good and die than live and look stupid. You want it to look good and bomb, you know. That's exactly right. <laughs> so 96, 97, 98. So 98, 98. When did you come back from Japan? 98, 99? Uh, 90, at end of 97 is when I checked into VMF AT 101 in El Toro, uh, you know, Marine Corps Air Station El Toro. Yep. Uh, to be an IP? Was, uh, to be an IP as it was decommissioning. I was a landing signal officer there to teach the Marines how to oh. land on the ship. Oh, that's Which, as you stupid. know, is that's harder dumb. than one could imagine. <laughs> yes. That's exciting. We used a lot of pictures. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> hey, whoa, whoa, I think we've just been insulted, Fig. I, I could be wrong. That's, a, that's all right. Can I, you draw a picture? I know how to find him. I know how to find him in person. <laughs> right. I'll sneak, up, I'll sneak up on him. Well, what's um, uh, i got to jump in on that. What's the uh, funniest, scariest, most terrifying most amazing thing you saw as an LSO Well, you were standing on the deck watching your friends fly. Yeah. So, you know, honestly landing, I, I can't really think of anything because we're so offensive, if you will, to ensure that uh, we mitigate the risk and stay in a safe envelope with on, on the glide slope. Uh, as far as meatball lineup, uh, lineup angle of attack is concerned. But uh, one night I was out there and a uh, good buddy of mine, Rico, uh, in the back of an F-14, they launch off of Cat 1, and what the vestibular system feels as though you're pitching up because yep. of the acceleration. And so you have to fight pushing forward. And so uh, he was a backseater at the time. And so the pilot pushed forward, and they leveled off at 60 feet at night over oh. the water instead oh. of climbing. And so there was a miscommunication. They thought there was something wrong with the jet. So... Uh, it pulled the handle. They eject. Tomcat goes in the water. And so we go running over to the side of the ship on the starboard side, uh, starboard stern. And I just remember looking down and seeing Rico floating by, uh, waving up. And everybody's yelling, are you okay? And all the sailors on the smoking sponson, because you have to smoke outside. Uh -huh. They're all yeah. smoking as they're watching this guy <laughs> float by. They didn't even know that, <laughs> that somebody had ejected. It was just one of those really surreal moments. 
Oh, right. That's beautiful. So there is a place to smoke on the deck of an aircraft carrier. No, it's not on the deck. It's not down on the deck. It's, yeah, not on it's the deck one carrier. one notch below, right? That's one, right. Yeah. It's like so the we, catwalk. I call it a catwalk. It's not really a catwalk. Because we had a, yeah. a gent on earlier that his call sign was sugar, but he was a uh, he was an enlisted marine <laughs> when President Jack Kennedy took his lighter. He he looks around. He goes, "Can I smoke out here on the deck of the Ariskany?" And they're everyone's looking at each other like, "Who's going to tell the president no?" <laughs> That there's no gas fumes, hydraulics, oil. You can smoke. And then, uh, they, they weren't actually conducting ship. flying ops at the, at the time. time. Yeah. They, they were watching an aerial demonstration. Nice. It's a good, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So he, he, he loaned him his lighter, and, uh, and Jack Kennedy took his lighter that he bought himself when he graduated from boot camp. So <laughs> That's great. But, yeah. No kidding. Wow. Floating by a waving. Are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow all right so uh from vma t101 vmfa t101 yeah. uh then where'd you go so i had applied to the blues in 98 and was unsuccessful and this is just kind of a fascinating story i'll tell it quick so i went into the first interview i was selected as a finalist there's you know 30 people a year that are qualified to apply to the team that do apply to the team and they end up uh selecting six to be a finalist and you get interviewed by the team for a, a couple of days actually and so i go in there and they had asked me the dumbest thing i'd ever done in an airplane and i thought that i should tell them that i'd never really made a mistake and that i was really really good and so i told them some ridiculous story about being off altitude and, uh v8 <laughs> was number five at, yeah v8 who was number five at the time goes that's it that's your dumbest story and i said yeah and they didn't pick me that year uh and i reapplied and uh the second year and uh, Wolfie, who was the slot pilot at the time, uh, was a big supporter of mine. And he said, hey, look, uh, you just you just be honest and tell the truth, right? And, uh, and be honest in your answers. And so I went in and they asked uh, two questions that I very much remember. Uh, the first one was, uh, tell us the dumbest thing you've ever done in an airplane. And that story was, uh, I was the wingman. Uh, we were doing an air power demonstration to reference your earlier story for the Japanese CNO who was on the USS Independence. And we were going to do a wall of water where we dropped 500 pounders in a stream. Right. And, uh, Impressive. I, I was the wingman. Right. I was on the inboard side and the flight lead uh, had gotten us too close aboard. So we pickle our ordnance, frag the USS Independence. The Japanese CNO dives behind the admiral uh, of our ship, uh, of the battle group. <laughs> And so I told that story, right? You want the truth? Here's the truth. Yeah, and Wolfie truth. says, that was you? Because it was one of those stories that at the time a lot of people knew. <laughs> it had gotten said, around the whole fleet. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I said, well, yeah, it was. But let me tell you what I learned from it uh, as not only a combat wingman, but as a leader and things that I would do different uh, to help prevent it. And shifted it into uh, a learning event. And then the second yeah. question they asked, was they brought back two other finalists. So there were three former finalists there for two spots. I was the youngest guy. And they said, hey, would you reapply a third year? And I said, that's an unanswerable question because what you're asking me, if I say yes, I will, then I give you the opportunity to pick the other two and skip me. And if I say no, then I appear uninterested. 
So to me, it's an unanswerable question, but let me make one thing really clear. I want to be selected to the 2000 Blue Angels. That's my goal, and that's why I'm here today. And uh, those two questions I remember very distinctly. Or distinctly. And so for your listeners, there's a couple of great lessons there. One, uh, tell the truth. Make sure you're learning from mistakes because the Blues don't want you to be the very best. They want you to be able to learn. And uh, yeah, the second right. is certainly, uh, you know, defend yourself and and make your position clear. So, uh, no, I I think pro- well played, sir. Yeah. Well played. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean that really is. It's you know, uh, sorry, I disagree with the premise of your question, and here's why. Yeah. That's that's great. Yeah. No, that's awesome. So you know, we uh, we had a couple of episodes with Lawman specifically about his Blue Angel experience and yeah. his, you know, he uh, he had us in stitches because they, you know, they harassed him pretty hard. Right. He was the only Marine on the team at the time, and Harrier plus he was guy. a Harrier guy. You know, they. So uh, how was that experience for you as the FNG? Now, uh, were you the narrator one one year before you went to the number six, or how, how'd that work? Okay. I was. So every pilot selected to the team gets two years as a demonstration pilot. One pilot each year gets selected to be number seven, the narrator. Most people don't want to be the narrator because you're kind of like the aide de camp uh, to the yeah. other pilots, right? They're in the show. They're signing autographs. You're number seven. You're, you're the SLJO. <laughs> yeah, you're not, you're not really, you know, you're on the team, but you're serving the team. Yeah. I loved being the narrator, the number eight, I had two number eights, uh, Iron Shank uh, was the first one, and uh, Marcello Caceres uh, was the second. Uh, so Cello and Iron. And Iron and I had two F-18s with our names on it that were exclusively for our use to get us anywhere that we needed to go that the, the Blue Angels needed us to be. Uh, and so I was exceptionally autonomous for an entire year, uh, with not only my <laughs> own F-18, awesome. but a backup F-18. And I, I just, and it was a, a lot of PR, right? Public relations stuff. Flying you reporters. were, you were the, a lot of PR, all the media flights. I probably flew 150 people in the backseat of the F-18. How many uh, of them did you brief- get to hurl? Well, so interesting. You don't try to get them to hurl, but some of them. <laughs> of course want, not. Yeah. Uh, geez. Or, you know, normally it's the aileron rolls. That yeah, people right. throw up. It's not the G, but yeah. uh, about 50% of the people uh, uh, lose consciousness and about 66% of the people vomit. Uh, now, so the question to you two, if I can ask you a question, is do you th- think the women perform better or the men perform so better? The women perform much better. Women all, all, all day. By far. Yeah, because I called it the testosterone factor. It, the guys oh, yeah. get so excited because they're telling all their buddies, I'm going to fly in a jet, I'm going to fly in a jet, I'm going to fly in a jet, that they get uh, okay. so worked up hormonally that they're a mess. And the women show up, they're like, ah, whatever, Adam. Okay. Yep. It's, it's, yeah, I totally, awesome. I, they're just, yeah, they're just got more that. relaxed uh, and they enjoy the heck out of the flight. So I enjoyed my number seven. It was wonderful. All right. So as number seven, uh, what, what celebrities did you fly? Well, so the year that I was number seven, it's interesting. You would think a lot of celebrities would want to fly. A lot of them can't because their insurance doesn't allow them to fly. Yeah, even right? though they would That's like. a bullshit story. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's crazy. It's it's crazy. Uh, there's. I'll tell you two quick stories. 
the first one was a guy named David Ben. He was a long snapper for the Chargers. And the very we, right. it's a, we work through this series of maneuvers to get their body physiologically ready for more G, right? To see if they can yep. handle it. We got mirrors that we're looking at them to make sure they're okay. He puked after every single maneuver for 45 minutes. You and I'd go, dang, man, are you okay? Be like, yeah, How could he have any vomit left? He'd go, do another one. <laughs> and so I would do another maneuver. Do another one. But I said, man, are you okay? He's like, this is a once in a lifetime. I'm never going to get to do this again. I want the whole <laughs> thing. And so, Squirrel cage me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, I, I, yeah. <laughs> the, another one, I flew a producer for ABC. And it was at the end of the year. He's a big, hulking guy, really muscular. Uh, and I thought, oh, this guy, he's going to do really great. And we do the first maneuver, and I can see him turning green. And oh, uh, the oh, testosterone started to take over. And I said, hey, why don't we take a break? Look out at the horizon. I want you to have a good flight. And he goes, no, 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 no. Go ahead. So I go into the next maneuver. He vomited so violently that oh, I had vomit come forward. It's no, not eight. No. Hits me in no. the shoulder, the side of the <laughs> helmet, and hits my displays. And oh, big and repeat. <laughs> I was laughing so hard because nobody had ever, just like you guys, I mean, uncontrollable. And I had to tell them, I'm like, oh. hey, I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing away. I mean, this is insane. That was a projectile. Oh. like, not that I've ever seen. Oh, man. No. Talk about power oh. puking. Oh, dear yeah. God. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wow. Yeah, it was, uh, well, it was pretty brutal. Oh, that's hard. So, so you had two jets, your name on them. Car, you know, autonomous. Uh, how many? Uh, I mean, just give, give me a ballpark figure. So that was uh, one season. How, how much? How much flight time did you log? Oh gosh, big. We would take off every every Wednesday morning at seven a.m. We were the first ones to to, leave to, to go to, to the go, site to go to wherever yeah. we were going. And so if yep. we were going to Seattle, uh, we would leave at seven a.m. We could go anywhere we wanted. I would always take a crew chief with me. And so either Roy or Vic, and uh, I taught those guys how to fly. Uh, Vic's mom was in El Paso. So we would stop in El Paso, have lunch with his mom. And then as long as it was uh, efficient to get to where we were going. But we might fly three legs to the show site, do three media flights. So it was six flights a day. I mean, it was just. Wow. It was unbelievable amount of flying. Holy cow. Oh yeah. man, and, and imagine, you know, you enlist in the Navy, you know, you're never going to get to fly. And the next thing you know, you're flying a blue angel jet because you're a crew chief for him. That's amazing. Oh yeah. I would teach him to land. Awesome. Uh, yeah, it was, we had a lot of fun and I'm still, as you would imagine, I'm still in touch with, uh, those crew yeah. chiefs. They're, yeah. they're amazing. Well, uh, I, several people I've talked to about it though, said that, that that's, you know, obviously everyone looks at the pilots. That's the glamour job, right? But the, right. the team that makes that happen are second to none. Those guys will work. Yep. Oh, yeah. It, you know, when the FedEx package arrives at 11 o'clock at night, those guys are working on the jet all night to make the show happen. So Yeah, and then the uh, Marines, yeah. the C-130, the bird pilots, we could lose an uh, engine, you know, during a practice at 5 o'clock. They'd have to fly from Seattle back to Pensacola or to Lemoore, get a new jet, bring it back, land at 3 a.m. The maintainers are there, swap out the engine so it's ready to go for the next show. I mean, it it I, is. Yeah. It's it's NASCAR it's Formula One, all wrapped yeah. in one. It just happens to be jets. I saw that firsthand. Uh, so I was fortunate enough to do uh, Fleet Week in San Francisco five years in a row, dropping the leapfrogs. Nice. So we parked our C- our Air Guard C one thirty over a- in Oakland, uh, right right next to the Blues, 
And so we would go and have lunch with uh, with all the blues uh, maintainers and you know it was always catered. And we'd watch we'd watch the show and they worked their tits off. I oh, mean, yeah. it was impressive. And they took uh, you know that was I mean it was pride. It was all it was it just oozed. You know the Blue Angel ethos oozed through everybody that was part of the organization. Absolutely, uh, the discipline, the commitment, the pride, the professionalism. It just it sets the tone for the remainder of your life, really, and on, on what is possible. I just don't understand how they picked you. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> your listeners are probably thinking the same thing. <laughs> that guy, he tried to blow up the independence. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. So, um, you, uh, so you did your, you did your year as the narrator, and I imagine, I'm just imagining this because I heard this feel so many times that. I can reel it off. So the Blue Angel Diamond is on the runway. Can you do that spiel right now in your sleep? I can do the opener since 1946. Yeah. The Blue Commander Angel Cochran calls for yeah. breaks now, burners now, smoke now, and the Blue Angel Diamond is rolling. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's All right, exactly I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to make you do that. That's pretty funny. That's crazy. I, I, Hey, so there I was, listeners. Let me talk to you about something that's likely on your bucket list, learning a new language. Now, we all know that the best way to learn a new language is total immersion. Let me talk to you about the second best way to learn a new language, Babbel. Let's face it, not everyone can jet off and live abroad. So what's the next best option? Babbel. With Babbel, you can start speaking a new language in just three weeks. Why Babbel? Well, because it works. I forget about wasting money on private tutors or those language apps that are more like child's play. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are designed by over 150 language experts to help you speak confidently in real-life situations. Now, even though we pilots may often act like little kids, we can't turn back time to effortlessly learn languages like we did when we were six years old. But fear not, Babbel is here to save the day. Let me share a hilarious example of a French phrase that often trips up non-native speakers and leaves native French speakers in fits of laughter. Thanks to Babel, I avoided the embarrassment of mispronouncing je suis plein, meaning I am full, as je suis plein, meaning I am pregnant. But trust me, that's a mistake you want to avoid. But don't just take my word for it. Studies from Yale, Michigan State University, and others have proven that Babbel is the real deal. In fact, just 15 hours with Babbel is the equivalent to a full semester at college. With over 10 million subscriptions sold, Babbel is the go-to for real language learning and real conversations. And here's an exclusive deal for you, our listeners. Get a whopping 55% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash so there I was. That's B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash so there I was. Don't miss out on this limited time offer. Start speaking a new language with Babbel today. Rules and restrictions may apply. What was it like the first time sitting in a blue blue and gold jet, though, going, you know, well, the, like Lawman got his uh, flight suit stapled together before he ever. Yeah, came. they stapled his flight suit together. Uh, the very first time he could wear it, and so did what? What happened to you? What kind of shenanigans did they pull on you? Uh, the shenanigans are deep and long-lasting and never-ending. Uh, um, <laughs> I, I guess the way that I would equate it is, uh, it. I'd imagine it's like a rock band who is constantly on tour, right? And so 
There is yeah. just shenanigans and, and great times uh, by the crew, the pilots, just to keep it alive. And I mean, they would take zip ties and put them on your axle so you'd be driving. It'd be going, you know, and uh, <laughs> yeah. you find this really thick zip tie on your axle. Or they take the holes from a hole punch and dump them into your AC unit. So when you turn the AC on, you get blasted by all these. Yeah, hole this is rental cars. Rental cars, oh, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rental cars. So every Blue Angel has his... Wait, do you guys have your own rental cars or do you, you pair up? Uh, we pair up. So uh, seven and eight pair up, five, six pair up, three, four, two and dock, and then the boss has his own car. Of course. Yeah, so there's that. Yeah. So you spent your year as number seven, and then spring or winter training the following year. So that had been, been January 2001. That's right. Right. And so you, you went out to, uh, yeah, El we Centro? went to El Centro. So I'll finish the story. So somewhere, somewhere in there. Yeah. You, you led with this. So I kind of want to hear how this goes. So we're <laughs> introducing a maneuver at the time. It was called the Bahi, and we would fly up from behind the crowd, climbing above them, out in front of them, roll inverted, pull perpendicularly our surface, roll 90 degrees and cross. Seems complicated. If I had a model, it would seem very dynamic, but for a carrier pilot, uh, it's, it, you know, it's fairly benign, but it's the first time we had flown it. We briefed it. We visualized it. We did all of our chair flying and our minimum altitude we decided was 2000 feet. Most of the Blue Angel, uh, in fact, all of the Blue Angel maneuvers are done at 200 feet and about 400 knots. They could be lower, but we keep it high because we're recruiters and we want the children in the uh, spectator area to be able to see the airplanes, right? Because we're trying to inspire yeah. Anyhow, right. so our minimum altitude, 2,000 feet. Well, we go blowing down. I look into the heads-up display. I see 1,100 feet. You know, you get that tickle on the back of your neck, the hair standing And you're still 90 seat. degrees down? Yeah. And oh, so shit. I get this. Something isn't right. I look into the heads-up display. I see 1,100 feet, and I have um, three thoughts. Eject, you can't pull. And so my first thought was eject. The second one was knowing that I would have gone right into the hole following your yeah. Uh, yeah. So I just pulled for everything I was worth. Any guesses? Uh, repeat. How low do you think I got? Remember, the minimum altitude was 2,000 for this maneuver. Yeah. I just it, – it Take was a guess. Kind of speed. I, doing the math just off the top of my head, I, I'm guessing under 500 feet. Okay. If you any guesses? Yeah, I'm going to say 100 feet. Okay. Yeah, those are all high. So the radar altimeter, Hi. yeah, the radar altimeter on the F-18 uh, records into the black box every three quarters of a second. And when they pulled the black box to look at the tapes, uh, the minimum altitude was 27 feet. So 1,973 feet below the absolute minimum. We have a 27 top. feet is where you bottomed out. That's correct. Yeah. Oh, dear God. And, uh, Lord. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I'm confident having seen the tape that i got into some semblance of ground effect fly away we go back we land we stop flight operations for the day we have a discussion where how did it happen why did it happen and are there any other maneuvers that are at risk for similar conditions was this a new maneuver by the way uh intake was it new what it was mean? introduced in 2000 uh, okay. and from, it, it wasn't that entertaining to look at it was hard to make it hit correctly yeah yeah and so that was the last time it was flown because the risk was far greater than what the wow factor that anybody would get um and so anyhow uh i was flying the next day 
uh, uh, we debriefed it. We had a very thorough debrief. The whole team Good Lord. Uh, went home, went to bed, back the next day, yeah. boom, right back at it, uh, back to yeah. training. Um, that world. just, it flashed a uh, thought. You know, I, I looked at uh, that the, the pictures you sent with the email. There's a one picture, and I mean, it is almost perfect of you guys, the solo guys, passing. Uh, I don't know what maneuver it is, but you're passing in front of the crowd and you're both, uh, you know, 90 degree plan form and the, whoever took the picture took it perfectly right. because you guys were right at the cross and it looks like you're right on top of each other. It's sick, right? Yeah. I know exactly the picture you're talking about because I use it uh, often. Uh, and that's Dino and I, he was six, I was five and it just happened to be one of those images or pulled off of a video at the time. However, any blue angel would see and go, yeah, that was me. Oh, that was me. Cause it's yeah. hard to, unless somebody hands hey. it to you and go, I took this yesterday of you. It's pretty hard. Is to this tell. the same Dino that was a uh, slot so, pilot? That was with... 94, 95. No, yeah. no, no, no. You're talking yeah. a different, uh, different Dino. Dino. Yep. Different Dino. Okay. Okay. I was going to say, wow. The Flintstones <laughs> got a new button for punishment. <laughs> 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 nice. Well, that, that whole story you just told, uh, the twenty-seven feet. That you know, that my my palms are are, are wet right yeah. now. Yeah. Oh yeah. Just just thinking about that. I remember a couple times the getting were that. We, <laughs> we get the this classic big, aviation Swiss cheese model, right? One thing followed by another thing followed by another thing yeah. followed by another thing, yeah. and uh, death by a thousand slashes. You know, but missed when it. Those holes line Survived up. by that much. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I, I think uh, everybody, the flute tactical jets has that one moment right. where you go like, whew, that was, that was close. That was closer than it should have been. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's when you have them over and over and over, you're probably on it. You might, you might have an issue. That, that it might be you. <laughs> it might be you. It might not be the Swiss yeah. cheese thing anymore. Yeah. How many milliseconds 27 feet is at those speeds, though? Uh, repeat. Someday <laughs> yeah. I'll show you the video because I happen to have the video. And, uh, for the oh, listeners that are going, man, I wish they'd post it. No chance. Yeah. Uh, no. You can imagine that it's scary. I saw it about five years after it happened, and I thought it would be neat to see it. And to tell you the truth, I almost vomited Yeah. Uh, wow. because it was that. Uh, that close. It was that close. Yeah, that it yeah. sounds to me like that's as close as you'd come without actually right. uh, Morton. Yep. Oh. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you didn't. Otherwise, we wouldn't be having this conversation. That's right. So you didn't die in training, um, and you did two years as a opposing solo, one as six and then one as five as the lead solo, right? As a lead solo. So yeah. how how – that was a lot. That was a lot. So three years – well, I'm not going to say anything because um, I don't want to put words well, in your mouth. I've got a question. Well, okay. I, I want you to validate something. Okay. I guess sure. that Well, I, yeah, this is, this is what Lawman said? Angel? Yeah. What's the worst part? What's the best part of being a Blue Angel? Yeah. All right. I wasn't going to go there, oh, but let's yeah. go there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the day that you get hired and the day that you depart the team. Pretty uh, much. I think it's kind of yeah. common, but I mean, it takes its toll. Uh, yeah. To For the listeners, number seven uh, leaves every Wednesday morning at 7 a.m., gets home Sunday night. Monday is the one day off, and if there's a maintenance issue that has to be checked, number seven does the maintenance flight. So, I mean, it's a crazy busy year. And then uh, when you're in the demonstration, uh, when I was six and five, you're still leaving on Thursdays. 
And so for three years, I was never home for more than three days straight, except between November 15th and January 3rd. Isn't that crazy? Uh, when we would be, at, you know, from the end of one season until we went to winter training. And so right. I think it's really hard on the families, but my wife, Lisa, was exceptional. Uh, the kids all enjoy it. We lived in the same cul-de-sac on base and, uh, you know, they made it work, but. That's, that's um, cool. Yeah. Uh, where did you meet your wife? Pepperdine. Okay. Oh, that's not true. Oh, okay. She went to Pepperdine. We met on the ski slopes in Steamboat Spring or uh, Steamboat, Colorado uh, on a Pepperdine ski trip. Okay. Didn't okay. start dating, but that's where I met her. That, that's way cool. And uh, obviously, uh, same same wife. You guys stayed together uh, even through all the deployments 30. and yeah, everything. Yep. Yep. Well, yeah, 31 years last week, actually. Oh, congratulations. Well done, sir. Yeah, well, you. well played. Uh, you you obviously married way above your pay grade, as as we all did, as we all did, and uh, well done, well done. Yeah. So, awesome. uh, repeat before I start asking more questions. You do you have anything else about uh, you want to talk about the blues? I can't think of anything off the top of my head. That's fascinating flying and a great recruiting tool. But I want to hear more about uh, like. Well, let me ask this: What was your what was your best job? And I bet it wasn't the blues. What was your best job in the navy? Oh, I, I can I can tell you what it is right now without him even saying. So can I? Go ahead, but I want to uh, I, I want to hear you say it. Yeah, for me, it was uh, operational command of an F eighteen unit, in, uh, and so we were out. We were deployed thirteen of seventeen months. We did back to back tours, and we were gone a lot, and it was hard uh again where, on the sailors and the, where were you based at the time where were you based we were based out of virginia beach oh you know, wow we back to back pumps back to back to afghanistan but i it's interesting and it's a nice segue from the blues because i i'm probably most my name is most recognized from the blue angels sure. uh, but i am by far and away most proud of the combat operations uh and having in command and keeping uh, the sailors motivated during 13 of 17 months. So, yeah. Yeah, that's rough, man. But we were doing great work and we valued and respected the sailors and the time that they did have at home so that they could commit themselves wholly. We incorporated the families into that, uh, the entire uh, commitment, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was just a, a marvelous time. So, intake, what did a. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, did I interrupt? I was going to say, and we did some good work on behalf of the United States. Well, that, well, that's my next question. Give me a uh, average combat sortie. What it looked like for somebody in your squadron to fly a combat sortie in, into uh, Afghanistan? Yeah, so I'll transition you from the Blues into uh, shock and awe. Two thousand three. So I leave the Blues in two thousand five. I hang up the number five flight suit, and I go to the fleet replacement squadron to get operationally trained on employing the F-18 as a weapon system. But shock and I was getting ready to kick off and I was headed to my department tour. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I show up to go through a full syllabus because all I've done is fly for the blues for three years. And they're like, hey, intake, uh, you are going out to the USS Stennis. You're going to get your carrier qualification. And then you're going to join the USS Roosevelt in the uh, Eastern Mediterranean Sea for shock and awe. And I said, yeah, I, I haven't done any weapons training at all. I mean, uh, GPS weapons, laser guided weapons, they're all brand new from when I was flying before. I mean, uh, and they're like, yeah, 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 but you're a blue angel. And I said, 
yeah, so if you want to scare the enemy by having me fly over them upside down at 200 feet, then I'm your guy. I'm the best in the Navy. But if you, if you want me to hit a target with a bomb, you better train me. But, but if, you want me to, if you want me to employ a joint direct attack munition, right. I'm going to need some time. Right. And they said, yeah, uh, no. And so I went to the Stennis, got carrier qualified. What? Flew out to the USS Roosevelt, did one sortie, which was really to get me my carrier current again. During that one and a half hour, uh, we were on a, a secure radio, and they were walking me through the empl- employment weapons uh, switchology no. to employ the weapons. No. Day two, over Turkey, over Intralik, <laughs> turning south into northern Halifax. You are God. shitting me. Yeah, no, it was not. Hands, literally hands-on. Uh, Hotas yeah. class. Yeah. H- Hotas yeah. class over Hands secure radio. Wow. That's right. Yeah. So that was uh, combat uh, deployment number two, 2003 Shakana uh, in Iraq. And so coming oh, in crap. from the north. I thought you said it. that was the ring finger on the left hand. So would, would you guys take off, uh, refuel, and then go in or take off, go in, come back, hit, hit a tanker on the way out to make it back? So all of the all of the ops in Afghanistan and Iraq uh, were traditionally four and a half to six hours. So oh, you're tanking we somewhere. would take off, yeah. fly for about an hour and a half, tank, go in for an hour, vol, uh, vulnerability window. Yeah. Come back out if you still had ordnance, tank again, go back in for a second vulnerability window. Tank a third time, head back to the ship and land. And so they would try to schedule four and a half to six hours, depending on the uh, coverage. Um, it, but sometimes you'd get extended to seven and a half. That's rough, dude. And, and you could do that m- maybe three days in a row. But for the listeners, the ejection seats are not Barca loungers. No, they're I mean, not. They're not a lot of cushion in those big boys. seats. And, uh, I can remember when I was CEO in Afghanistan after three of those events in a row, uh, I'd have to have the crew chiefs come in and kind of help me stand up because your hips are just locked up, right? your glutes are locked. I mean, you just, you just, you, because you've been in, sitting in one position for seven and a half hours yeah. on ejections. Yeah. And, and where, where was the ship? Were you guys in the Indian ocean going over Pakistan? No, uh, or the Roosevelt, in- the, the Roosevelt was off the Eastern coast of Cyprus and the Eastern Med. Okay. Uh, and there were two carriers, day and a night carrier, uh, coming in from the north to hit to crit Missoula and uh, some of the northern okay. cities as the as we collapsed on the oh, Baghdad. Thinking, I don't know. I just and, confused Afghanistan with Iraq. Sorry. Oh yeah, uh, and then uh, in in the south there were uh, two carriers also as we as we supported the troops north and south uh, as they came into Baghdad. And then in Afghanistan we were in the North Arabian Sea. And we would fly uh, kind of right along the Iranian border, but in Pakistan, same thing, hour, hour yeah. and a half, tank, couple of vulnerability windows, uh, depending on the ordinance that you had remaining and what they needed. And then we'd fly back over Pakistan and uh, go land on the ship. What they call that? Not the highway, the... Uh... Uh, it was the highway. Yeah, but, but, but they had a <laughs> name for it. There was a name yeah. for it. It was the... Uh, oh, damn it. I can't remember. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but I was on that a lot. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, for a, hey, before we go any further, I just want to say thank you for your service, by the way. Uh, Amen. It, yeah. I, I want to say, I, I feel the need to tell a, com- a combat veteran, a fellow combat veteran, thank you for your service. Well, I appreciate that. I, I, uh, I always feel a little bit silly, uh, when somebody says that because it was, I, I really truly embraced every moment of it. I, uh, and for the listeners, I would say, don't only thank the, 
the veteran thank the family members, right? Because they were the ones who were at home. Oh, you got that right. Concerned, and uh, they serve equally uh, the same way that the service member does for sure. Yeah. No, they do indeed. The families are amazing. And uh, some of the Marine sailors, soldiers, and airmen managed to do it without good support from the families. But boy, yeah. it makes your life a whole lot easier. All credit to those those on the home front who keep things running because it, it's miserable without that, that kind Absolutely. of support. So, well, I appreciate yeah. you no, saying that, me. though. Thank you. I appreciate it. Take yeah. that. Intake, is there any uh, particular mission that sticks out that you think about a lot that uh, was a uh, Pivotal in, or you try not to think, or you about, try not to think about it anymore. Uh, you know, is something funny, scary uh, from your combat tours? Oh, you know, 2003 and five. So that was my department at tour. 2003 was shocking. We went back in 2005. I was operations officer of VFA 15. And now we're in the Persian Gulf going up uh, into the south. And that's when Fallujah and Ramadi were taking place. So we yeah. were looking for a lot of IEDs and trying to isolate and neutralize uh, anybody that we saw putting them in or supporting ground forces. And they were coming down the Tigris River out of Syria. And so I can remember employing against uh, a bit of a stronghold right on the Syrian border. And again, this is 2005. So Syrian operations hadn't even kicked off. Still in Iraq, neutralizing a weapons cache uh, in that general area. Um, that was uh, big secondaries coming out of that. You're being uh, you're being talked on by some forward air controllers on the ground, or uh, yeah, joint tactical air control. Yeah, uh, joint tactical air controller on the ground, right? With a nine line running in, dropping, and you're lazing, and uh, you know for the listeners, the lazing, you're guiding your own weapon in. Uh, on this laser spot that you were putting. And that can be super stressful because the laser can get masked without getting into the details. But then when you see the weapon hit the laser mark, it's pretty awesome. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, repeat, I'm going to press on unless you've got... Yeah, no, I I, th- I think we're uh, um, we're getting close to. So uh, you had command of a Hornet squadron, and then you were on to selected being selected the uh, first Navy F thirty five commanding officer. Yeah, so uh, just to fill in a couple of the gaps there, I did the uh, department tour was Iraq three and five, and then I was okay. uh, an aide to uh, Northern Command and Pacific Command. Uh, you know, getting to sit in meetings with uh, Secretary Rumsfeld, President Bush, you can see him up over here uh, over my shoulder, um, and very high level, uh, kind of a PhD in leadership. It was, it was incredible. The, the admiral that I worked for uh, allowed me to come into all of those meetings. I selected uh, F-18 command while I was in that tour and then okay. did the 13 of 17 months uh, in Afghanistan supporting Operation Enduring Freedom, and then was selected to be the requirements officer for F-35 in the Pentagon. And so I went, and that was 2010. Hey, hey, uh, 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 let me stop you right there. Uh, uh, yeah. The, this, the year that you, or the years that you, the year that you were in command of the F-18, what squadron was that? The uh, VF-83 Rampagers. Yeah, and we and, won the Battle E and the Safety S, uh, the Michael J. Astotian Award. We had a an incredible squadron. It was amazing. That's outstanding. And what you and was that? Oh nine, 
2009? Uh, I checked in as the XO in eight, uh, took command in nine, and left in October of 10. So did you do, uh, were you were you guys deployed um, 2009, 2010 timeframe? Yeah, 2009 and, and 10. So pre-McChrystal when we were just uh, employing at will, and then McChrystal took over as the ISAF commander, and uh, he, had, uh, he changed his tactical directive. So uh, it became a little more stingy on what you could employ on, now, which was a little frustrating, right? Because we'll you support uh, the ground forces and deliver ordnance. I've been in Afghanistan in, uh, during that time frame. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. I look forward to that. I'll let you buy the beers. Okay. There you go. <laughs> you know I will. You know I'm going to. He didn't take so. Oh, I know. I got, I've got a quick one. We've glossed over it and then we can move into you filled in some gaps and then we'll go into f first f35 but we get asked this a lot we when we forget we get reminded how did in- oh yeah yeah so <laughs> call sign yeah how'd that happen you know I, I i do a lot of corporate training and i used to ask uh when i was a little bit heavier hey where do you think intake came from and when people started saying you eat a lot is when i kind of stopped asking the crowd uh actually by turn to the profile repeat so your viewers could see it I have yeah. a big nose. I take in more go. than my fair share of air, just like a jet engine. Uh, that's where intake comes from. <laughs> okay. Nice. All right. Well, at least it wasn't a self-inflicted stupidity wound like uh, so many. <laughs> no. There, <laughs> there were plenty of opportunities, and right you, you've heard some of them today. <laughs> yeah. It could have been a lot worse. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Holy smokes. All right. So uh, – well, we we were talking offline. You you oh, you were you were the so okay. You were the rec- requisition officer for was it the yeah, F thirty five program procurement and requirements for the F thirty five in the Pentagon. And thank goodness I was only there for about ten months because uh, that place will suck the patriotism right out of you. No offense to those who make it a career, but. Um, I consider myself much more of an operator. And then they were standing up the first F-35 unit in Eglin Air Force Base, uh, VFA-101, the Grim Reapers, a legendary Tomcat fleet replacement squadron. And they needed a CO. uh, And I had just come off an exceptionally operational F-18 command. I was the F-35 requirements officer. So uh, I was... uh, uh, selected and approved by the Chief of Naval Operations to go stand up the Navy's first stealth fighter squadron, uh, which was incredible, right? What an honor. Okay. Is that when uh, you crossed paths with Nasty? So I was with Nasty in the in the Pentagon. Pentagon, okay. Uh, with him and what they call the ranch, N-98. Uh, oh, okay, that's I what I was thinking of. Nasty, procurements yeah. and requisition. Is that not the Pentagon? Yep. That's correct. That's oh, correct. okay. I'm sorry, repeat. I, I thought we were uh, transitioning to Eglin. Yeah, I was with Nasty. Yeah, I'm trying to. I'm. I don't. Don't follow my lead. <laughs> Keep going down the right path. Um, no, I was just curious when you were talking about procurements and requisition. I thought that that's when you had, had crossed with Nasty. So yeah, okay. yeah, worked very gotcha. closely with him. He's great American. Intake. What was so? When did what year was it that you went to Eglin to stand up? The FA-101 Green Reapers as an F-35. Uh, that, uh, 2001. So I went down there. The The command uh, had not commissioned right. that. that right. but, you mean 2010? Uh, I'm sorry, 2011. 2011. 11. Okay. Uh, 2011, I went down to Eglin. Uh, technically, I was number seven to check into the command. 
but they gave me a bunch of hand-picked, incredible department heads that were all O5s. Um, and so a lot of people think, oh, first stealth fighter squadron had to be exceptionally difficult. Well, I'd had command before, but it was actually really great because the supporting group that I had was so talented uh, that we were able to blow it up and expand it into uh, the first stealth fighter squadron in the U.S. Navy inventory. Uh, but I certainly didn't do it alone, that's for sure. Right. What? Well, no, but. I can see why they put uh, the top performing people in there because, you know, yeah. it's a new new program. You can't afford yeah. to have it fail. You, you can't afford self-inflicted stupidity wounds by... Uh, yeah. <laughs> and how, how long... Uh, so how long were you guys in Eglin? Did you ever move the squadron while you had it to uh, uh, Oceana or... No. So we stood up VFA 101, the Grim Reapers, uh, and built it out. We were waiting for delivery of the first airplane. There was talks of moving it to Lemoore, but Eglin was going to be the F-35 Center of Excellence. The Air Force, the Marines, and the Navy were all there. And uh, I, I was actually pushing really hard for that because it would have been a center of excellence and delay Lemoore or delay Oceana because it's supposed to be this collaborative joint platform weapon system, uh, nine partner nations. Uh, but as it turns out, we don't play that well with each other as far as philosophy, yeah, philosophies and operations and philosophies and training. Um, and so the the Marine Corps, as you know, pulled their F-35s to Yuma and the Navy pulled them to Lemoore. But at that point, I had uh, left the Navy, retired and uh, had moved on. So is that when you became a Hollywood stunt pilot? Yeah, Hollywood. Because <laughs> uh, I mean, this is pretty awesome, man. Um, yeah. So t tell us, tell us how. Uh, so you transitioned down the Navy, and uh, so I I know what the Patriot Jet Team is because they I've seen them fly at the uh, at the Fleet Week before. Actually, it's probably you I've I saw uh, flying. Uh, I would hope so. Yeah. Uh, but so how how did that how does that take place? So I was at San Francisco Fleet Week, didn't know the Patriot Jet Team existed, happened to bump into them where they were parking their airplanes. And uh, the number six pilot at the time was on the Blue Angels with me, a banker. And I bumped into him. How's the wife? How are the kids? Hadn't talked to him in 20 years. And he says, hey, Indy, we're looking for a guy. Are you interested? And all of my successes come from having said yes to so many things. <laughs> right. And I said, yes, I'm interested. And two weeks later, I'm doing loops to music in an L-39 uh, with the owner of the team, and they offered me the position of his number five pilot, uh, and which I took because you know lightning doesn't strike twice very often. And, sure. Um, and so it's an incredible team, former Thunderbirds, former Blues, exceptionally confident uh, non-military pilots, and I have flown with them now for since 2017, so in my sixth year with them. But in 2018, uh, the owner, Howler, uh, put to, uh, combined with uh, K2, who is a, a helicopter pilot in Hollywood, and they combined and put together a company called Cinejet to put in a bid for the cinematography contract for Maverick. They won the bid because okay. Randy had the jets. They mounted uh, uh, Kevin's cameras on there, and uh, they won the contract. 
And so Randy, based on my combat experience, said, hey, will you come help us train Glenn and Monica and all the actors and actresses? And I said, sure, that'd be great. So we went out to L.A., Camarillo, spent a couple of days training everybody in the jet, getting them used to high aspect, talking about BFM, talking about anti-G straining maneuver uh, before they went into the F-18. That was December of 2018. And then in 2019... Okay. Uh, Howler called and said, hey, they need someone to fly the uh, final fight sequence in Maverick. Will you do it? And what do you think I said? Yes. Of course. <laughs> and so uh, July of 2019, we went and spent two weeks flying three times a day filming that final sequence when uh, Maverick and Rooster steal the F-14 right. okay. uh, and then crash land it. So. Sorry, that's a long yeah. story, but it's well, it, that's it pretty that's pretty awesome. Yeah, it all pieces together. Um, so, where were you flying out of? Uh, was that it? Uh, was that in the Sierra Nevadas that we were looking at with the snow on them and everything? Where uh, where was that? Yeah, a lot of it was where out of Whidbey film? in the uh, Olympic Range, and then okay. also out of China Lake and uh, Tahoe Reno, uh, Truckee Reno. Uh, yeah, and so uh, the work that we did was out of Chico. Uh, the canyons with the big granite walls uh, and where we're 30 feet over the river, mm -hmm. uh, that was all um, over by a place called Lake Orville, uh, which is now full. And uh, the middle fork of the Feather River is where we did that film. Okay. Well, that's pretty darn awesome. And then the water work was back in Camarillo out off the Channel Islands. Okay. It was intense. It was crazy intense. So, um, um, I've got a question how, about how much movie. time Having did you see the movie? Yeah. Uh, they, they barricaded, right? The, the Tomcat at the end. Yep. How, is that CGI or did they? Uh, the, yeah. CGI. Okay. CGI. They, okay. they brought a Tomcat in from, uh, my understanding, I wasn't part of that, but okay. they brought a Tomcat in, uh, put it on the deck of the carrier. I think they bought it, got it on loan from the, one of the museums in San Diego, like the Midway. Okay. Uh, and then created that scene. Okay. Yeah. Cause I was looking at that go. Really? Wait, I don't think they hold do on a second. Wait just a second. Sorry. <laughs> you mean they weren't flying an F-14 in the movie and it didn't take a barricade without a... <laughs> yeah. Hold on a second. I got to process this. They wouldn't have paid me enough to crash a F-14 <laughs> into the barricade on the back of a ship. Uh, no, thanks. Well, what could go wrong? Was that a, was that a fun experience? It was I mean, unbelievable. That, that... Super intense. Yeah, I mean, we were all, it was all below 100 feet, uh, super close to each other, right? To make it look right mm -hmm. correctly on film, I mean, it's really tight nose to tail. It's really yeah. tight to the canyon walls. The, and and you the, have the actors in your back seat. Uh, not for the not, final not for fight that. scene. Okay. Not for the not for the final fight scene. They were in the back of the F-18s, but all the F-18 footage was filmed by active duty military personnel. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, so we didn't have anybody in our backseats uh, when we were doing all that filming. But it, uh, I tell so you were chasing them. You you were chasing them to film it. Uh, it the final fight scene. Well, so how were you were I, filming? We flew uh, both the role of the Tomcat and the role of the SU fifty seven, and so there were okay. multiple SU fifty sevens. And we would show up in the morning. We'd see a storyboard, right, a two dimensional cartoon of the image that they wanted for the film okay. and then we would determine how we could get that image on film with the camera crews walk through it talk about it mitigate the risk and then go out and try to capture it. 
That's pretty awesome. Yeah. That is, that's incredible. Yeah, it was really intense. I mean, we that we would fly <laughs> under helicopters, and the helicopters were under a hundred feet. Uh, and it, I mean, it was it was just nutty. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's pretty awesome. And you're still flying. Um, you're still flying uh, with the Patriot. Uh, I, I, I do still get to fly the number five jet for the Patriot jet team. Uh, we should be in San Francisco. It is an absolute thrill. Every time I do it, it's a remarkable team, team of professionals. That's how it's an adrenaline rush. So do you guys, um, how many air shows do you guys do a year? I mean, just average. Well, post-COVID, we were probably doing eight pre-COVID. The last year and a half, we've probably done uh, seven in total. We think that 2024, as the world is back into a normal rhythm, uh, that we'll do more. Uh, They're almost all on the West Coast, Washington, uh, Oregon, California, Nevada, Arizona. That makes it logistically a little easier. Any uh, any issues with scheduling from your uh, current employer? No, uh, I know full support, which is really great. It's all volunteer. Uh, we don't get paid. We just do it yeah. for the love of the game, if you will, uh, to include the maintenance personnel. And, um, you know, everybody likes to have a team uh, and be part of a group or a tribe. And, uh, you know, the right. Patriot Jet team is, uh, I, I just love it. It makes me really happy. When, I, when, I, when they offered me the job, I called my wife and said, hey, they offered me the job. And she said, what do you think? And I said, well, Lisa, it makes me really happy. Like, I feel alive. And she said, well, then you should do it. And so, and that was six years ago. It's awesome. That's awesome. Well, you you definitely married uh, above your pay grade. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you asking about that. So uh, the Blue Angels Foundation is kind of a juggernaut of fundraising because of the brand of the Blue Angels. And I was asked to be on the board of the Blue Angels Foundation. And we raise money uh, to uh, primarily help prevent veteran suicide and provide the funding required for outpatient or inpatient PTSD treatment. We also help provide funding for uh, canines, uh, to help service veterans transition uh, both uh, with their mental health and their physical health. And we are uh, partnered with Freedom Station in San Diego, which is transitional housing. And so I, I'll tell a real a, a story that is very impactful, not to bring everything down, but how uh, what a pivotal moment it was for my life. So both of my kids went to the Naval Academy. And our oldest son, uh, his roommate was Vaughn. And uh, in November 5th, 2021, I'm at the 75th reunion for the Blue Angels. Same story that I told about Jungle. Friday night, we walk into our hotel room. The kids are there. It's a really great event. And Wyatt, uh, my son, gets a phone call that Vaughn had taken his own life. And and I had lost another uh, squadron mate who had committed suicide. My mother had tried to commit suicide twice when I was in high school. And so it was a real pivotal moment for me where I went out on the balcony of the hotel, Pensacola Beach, and it was just sobbing and sobbing, like collapsed. And at that moment, I realized that I have a voice, I have a platform, and I can do good. And so uh, it, it's what I want to do uh, with the remainder of my active days. And, and I, I hope to be uh, buried in Arlington someday. I don't need my tombstone to say, Blue Angel, Iraq, Afghanistan, Bronze Star, Maverick doesn't have to say anything. If it says uh, saved veterans' lives, that's uh, that's victory. I, and so I'm really committed to it. 
um, and, and the cause. And I, I'm just impassioned by it. Uh, our veterans need a lot of help. So how, um, so how, how, uh, you know, how do you find, how do you find that, uh, like for listeners, if they wanted uh, to be involved or wanted to donate? Yeah, I appreciate you asking. So the, uh, blueangelsfoundation.org, plural, blueangelsfoundation.org. You can donate right there. Uh, you can also text BAF to the number 91999. And you can donate. It's all tax deductible. We have a five-star rating uh, with Charity Navigator. Uh, it's all volunteer. Uh, and we are saving lives. And it feels really good. And so for your listeners. It sounds like the money that they give actually goes. Actually to goes to where it needs to go. It, it goes to the veterans. And a lot of people will yeah. say, well, the VA should be taken care of them. Yeah, well, you know, should. the mentality is warfighters yourselves. The mentality of the warfighter is not to go and uh, acknowledge, uh, especially to a government agency, that you that you want some sort of uh, mental health treatment. We don't even talk about being physically injured. And so these private organizations like the Blue Angels Foundation provides anonymity, continuity of care, uh, and get them the help that they need without judgment ridicule, fear of uh, some sort of uh, career retaliation. Uh, and so that's why the private organizations exist. I appreciate you letting me share that story. That's awesome. And that's uh, that's something that I know, I know repeat uh, is, and I am also very uh, passionate about. Yeah. Because, um, uh, you know, quite, quite frankly, combat is um, – Combat is is different for everybody, but it's really different for uh, um, somebody that's actually on the ground than uh, somebody that's sitting in an air-conditioned cockpit. Yeah, and just the effects that it has on your family. I mean, you leave for six months, nine months, 12 months, and there are challenges. Uh, and so secondary side effects that nobody thinks about. And you're making life and death decisions in a combat scenario. Then you come back and... You have a hard time getting a job at, at uh, you know, an Amazon driver, or you, you go from this level of responsibility to not having the ability to make any decisions based on uh, whatever career field you've got into. And, and that's, it just, it, it's hard to adjust. Now, here's the best way I can explain it, if I can, and I don't know how much time we have left. As much as if you your know. listeners have a favorite football team, right? Like, like, you know, so say your favorite football team is the Packers, right? And you've got your, you live in Wisconsin, you live in Green Bay, and you put on your Packers jersey and your cheese head and you go to the tailgates or your uh, neighborhood uh, barbecue and everybody's cheering and rooting and the Packers score and you're hugging and it's just an incredible event, right? Because that's your team. And then imagine on Monday – they say, hey, uh, we're going to need that uniform back. We're going to need the jersey. We're going to need the cheese head. And you can't come to these parties anymore. Um, it, it, the, the sense of loss and emptiness is the same way that when you leave the service, you don't have your uniform anymore. You don't have your team. You don't have your unit. You don't have your organization. Well, that's real, that's you're, probably you're one going. of the best analogies I've ever heard. No, that is by far the best analogy I've ever heard, dude. I mean, that is spot on. Really? Yeah, uh, it, uh, yeah. Did you and come so up with? Hey, it. did you come up with that yourself? I did. Yeah. Son of a bitch! Check, check you out the brain. <laughs> you should write a book. <laughs> hey, you, you should know, write a book, bro. <laughs> yeah. uh, if there was a book that describes all of these things, I would. So, you know, I might call it. I don't know. If I was writing a book and I was you, I'd say like you know, full throttle, dude. Full throttle is what I call pilot. it. 
Full but throttle. I, I have I lived know. my life at full throttle for sure. Yeah. Um, and and it has been just, it continues to be a wild ride. Where, so. where can I get that book? Yeah, oh, where, where would a guy find a book called Full Throttle that talks yes. about incredible leadership stories and you know things like that? It, yeah, Full Throttle uh, from the Blue Angels to Hollywood Stunt Pilot is available uh, online anywhere, but uh, primarily, uh, you know, you can get it fast on Amazon. Twenty percent of the proceeds go towards the Blue Angels Foundation. Oh, nice. uh, hey, and uh, that's so, a selling point right there, bro. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, so order it. Know that you're doing good. Uh, the majority of profits go to help our veterans. I just wrote it to share my story, my experiences, hopefully inspire uh, all ages to say yes to opportunity, uh, learn from failure. And I have shared some very personal failures here on your show. Uh, and Thank ask you for, for help. Ask for help when you need it, both from a career perspective, from a mental health perspective. People want to help. Ask. Hey, how difficult is it to get a book published these days? It, from uh, beginning to end was uh, about a year for wow. me. Uh, but did, that was, did you enjoy writing? Did you? It, was it therapeutic to write that book? It was. Yeah, it was. And then tying the narrative together, and I asked for assistance. I got an editor. I got some people that were involved in books. I sent it to people to read it and proof it, uh, putting the pictures together. And so my dad, who has dementia, had always said – you have the most outrageous stories. You should write a book. And so uh, <laughs> that's kind of the reason that I finally got off my hat uh, is because he's not going to be with us much longer. And so uh, I wrote it. It's good for veterans. Um, and uh, hopefully it has some stories in there that'll speak to readers. I, I, I'm going to put you on the spot and, and you can't maybe uh, an accept perfectly acceptable answer, but I'm wondering, uh, could, could somebody get an autographed copy? of your book yeah absolutely so i do that all How the time i mean if you uh, and you could post my address if you want uh, okay. somewhere on your web page we could but if someone wants to you can it, buy it uh, we'll post it on the uh so there i was us on the blog post that is your show which will yeah be and so 66. you can you can absolutely uh order a book off of amazon use my address send it to me i'll sign it for you uh and launch it back Right back at you. Nice. Uh, in fact, I just dropped three books off uh, at the post office today. <laughs> That's uh, pretty awesome. Other dude. readers that have done that. So uh, happy to do it. I, I, you know, all of the things that I've been able to do, um, I, I just want to share. I, I've been fortunate um, and I'm happy to share my journey from watching Top Gun to performing in Top Gun and uh, now, that's, that's pretty. That's right? pretty. Being in that's high pretty school, incredible. Top Gun to be in one right? of the stunt pilots on Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> yeah. So uh, not 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 exactly that story uh, because I had already signed the dotted line and was going to officer candidate school. Yeah. Uh, the month the the month that that came out. Okay. The movie. And yeah. but, but this that when I went to uh, Marine Corps officer candidate school that summer, summer of '86. Uh, I was candidate Top Gun. Were you really? <laughs> well, that that that's you know anybody that had an air contract was just candidate Top Gun, right? You know, so oh, candidate Top Gun, drop down, give me nine thousand pushups, candidate Top Gun. <laughs> it's like I hate that movie. I hate that movie. I hate that movie. Yeah. 
I was already in before the movie came out. I was like, no, this is what I want to do. And then, then that movie came along, and now I'm candidate Top Gun. Yeah, but you try to explain that to a drill instructor. Oh, yeah. and oh no, no, no. Yeah. Then you're going to no do 18,000 push-ups. So, right. There was none of that. We're just okay, a punchline to those guys. <laughs> yeah. Now, this, this is just for your entertainment intake. I'm telling my wife, uh, you know, I said, listen, I got to I got to get back. So I'm on vacation right now. I said, I yeah. got to get back. I got to get back. I'm interviewing this guy. Well, well, just tell me about him. And I said, well, here. And I just, I showed her the bio and the whole thing. And I go, a little side note for you. I go, uh, he was one of my flight students when I was an instructor in Kingsville. And she got real serious. And she goes, well, he obviously did all that because you were such a great leader and taught him. And I go, Dude, I already remember him. He's the one that said, he's the one that told me that I was one of his instructors. Uh-oh. But, but I you know, once again, you fig and your wife is dead accurate. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Hey, I, fig, listen, you're just lucky she didn't go, well, what the hell's wrong with you then? Why didn't you do yeah. all this cool stuff? Yeah, what, what, why weren't you a Top Gun uh, movie stunt pilot and a Blue Angel? I'm like, well, honey, I, I tried. I just wasn't that cool. <laughs> That's great. No, we all we all married. I mean, I seriously married way above my uh, my my pay grade. I tell you that. Yeah. Wow. It's the well, uh, it's the fighter pilot upgrade, right? Yeah. Uh, no. The, Boy, they're impressed that we're fighter pilots, and then they realize that we act like thirteen uh, year olds, and then they become wildly unimpressed. Yeah. Uh, uh, my wife refers to me. She tells she she describes me to her friends as uh, I'm married to a pinball. Yeah. <laughs> Because I never sit, you know, I can't sit down. I can't, you know. Oh, big, I'm with you. I, I'm in constant motion. It's constant motion. I'm actually more like a light switch. I'm either on or yes. I'm off. I think, um, and you know, that's something that we all have in common. I, all of us that do this kind of job, uh, it come from this background, is we are a switch. Yeah. You're on or you're off. There's not well, really not nothing. I hit in my sixties. I tend to find myself in the off position for an hour or so in the middle of the damn day. What the <laughs> hell happened? <laughs> That's a micro off. Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. momentarily, just a quick recharge. Yeah, fighter repeat. nap. That's yeah. Fighter nap. Yeah, fighter That's nap. All. Yeah. They're just longer. <laughs> yeah, that's I, right. I'm kind, I don't want to take any more of your time. I'm kind of out of questions. What do you? Is there something that uh, that I'm, I haven't thought of? Repeat or or intake? Uh, what, what do you think? I saw, uh, the only other question I saw was uh, EMBA student, Denver University. Yeah. Denver, oh, Denver University. Okay. Yeah, uh, I'm getting my executive MBA right now, nice. primarily uh, because uh, I, I wanted to get kind of a background in finance a little bit deeper uh, as an accountant. I, yeah. I have an interest in that, and so I wanted to sharpen my skills. I had the time to do it, uh, or at least well, I thought awesome. I did, but then I decided to write a book and go to school. Uh, and so, oh, there's that. Uh, and, yeah, and then you got your other job, the other thing that kind of takes it. It's a time suck. <laughs> yeah, yeah right. uh, And so, but I, I intend to use all of that uh, with the Blue Angels Foundation. Hey, that's fantastic. And, that's fantastic. Can't use it forward. Yeah. Do you have to be a former Blue Angel to be involved in the Blue Angel Foundation? No, we have some really talented people uh, with skill sets. You know, Blue Angels are are pretty are okay at flying airplanes. We're pretty good at gland handing and shaking hands and telling stories uh, in recruiting, if you will, because that's our primary mission. Um, but fundraising is kind of a different beast. And until you make the transition of being able to ask 
in a professional, respectful manner. Uh, but what you find is most donors actually, they show up at events expecting to be asked. So yeah. make the ask. And if they can, they will. And if they can't, that's okay too. Keep asking. All right. So uh, real quickly again, uh, revisit that then for me. It was, uh, it's be it's it's Nine blue million. angels foundation dot org or b and then there was a there was a text b a f b a f the the letters for blue angels foundation b a f to nine one nine 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 and you can get the book from Amazon or go to scottcartfet dot com and you can purchase it there also and I appreciate you letting me make those shameless plugs. Absolutely. The veterans I could make all day long with the Blue Angels Foundation. Yeah. It's a little humbling to push the book, but I appreciate no. it. Well, th- thank you for your service, both in service and post service. And because uh, yeah. you apparently don't know how to quit, you're still doing it. So thank you for that. And, and God yeah. bless you. That's Yeah, man. Thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us and, and sharing your stories. And listen, if uh, we sign off, uh, if you think if you think of something, make some bullet points. Uh, uh, you know, because uh, we'll, we'll have you back. back for for a refresh. Come back. It, right well, book. I'll uh, I'll wet your appetite a little bit. October and November, I got a call from Tom, and uh, he asked me to go participate in a uh, movie, another movie that I can't talk about. But uh, I spent some time in October and November working with Tom on a, a follow on movie. His buddy Tom. Not Mr. Cruz. No. <laughs> That's awesome. That tantalizes the imagination a little bit. Thank you for that. Just a little bit. It'll, <laughs> it'll leave. Uh, maybe we'll get the chance to talk about that uh, when that movie releases. All right. Excellent. Would you come back and visit with us at some point? Oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a treat. I enjoyed it. It's just a couple of Navy pilots sitting around uh, BSing. Who, who doesn't love that? Oh, I hey, I know where I was going with this. Um, that's kind of what uh, you know the uh, uh, the that's what that's what brought this podcast on. Really, was we wanted to uh, have a platform so guys could tell their stories, and 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 that's why we're here, really, to yeah. get guys to tell their stories. And yeah. we've had some great stories, and we got some outstanding stories from you. So thank you. We we do indeed. Well, it is time to land the airplane. So thank you for your service. Thank you for coming on. And, and uh, you've said you'll come back and we're going to hold you to that. So thank you. Um, I also want to thank, uh, we've got three new Patreon pilots with us this week, Fig. We got Jonathan Knuckles, Justin Lundberg Neff, and some dude named Vapor have all joined as Patreon pilots. So Vapor and, and Knuckles as in Dragger. Let's, let's most likely oh, yeah. <laughs> Drager, yeah. well thanks to all <laughs> thanks to all three of you yeah. gents that's yeah. awesome man that is really awesome yeah. that if if jonathan knuckles wasn't a pilot that in call sign dragger would be call sign dragger so um let's see what else we got to thank uh, the folks over at backbeat media one by the name of dave hamilton who thank helped you, Dave us put this podcast uh, on the air so you can hear these great stories. The Patreon pilots help keep the engines running to keep them coming to you. Dave Hamilton gives us the knowledge to make it right. And then I, I'm wearing the shirt. If you're watching on video, Fig's wearing the hat. The merch store. How do we get to the merch store? Shit, I don't know. <laughs> okay, I'll Is, tell you. Wait, hold on a second. Is it <laughs> okay. so there I Pop was? There you so go. there I was uh, dot US slash merch. There you go. Boom. See? Easy to remember. <laughs> Easy to remember. It's right there. Yeah. 
Right. And, hey, uh, we have awesome merch, including a bikini. Yeah. When this podcast comes out, we'll have a new sponsor that we'll be welcoming on board, Babel. Thank you for their support to uh, help keep the show coming to you. One of the more important things is the glossary page. Man, we keep hitting all these acronyms and these terms. and So there are ones I, that I didn't hear any new ones glossary. tonight other than uh, the BAF, which we already this, this yeah. said was the Blue Angel Foundation. That that's a good one and easy. We hit we hit Rad Out last week, which I was surprised wasn't on there. Radar altimeter, so but that's there. Uh Fig, if someone wanted to ask you a question via email, how would they do that? They can send it to fig at so there I was dot us. Or send right me there. one at repeat at so there I was dot us R E P E T E. If you got any whirly bird questions. Send them the sticks. It's so there I was. It's a whirling death trap of parts spinning. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we've we've uh, sadly come to the end of our time together tonight. Wait. I think I hear something. That's My hearing's the, not so good after all these jet engines. You hear? I'm hearing it, I, and I and I'm telling you, I know that sound. That is the sound of the Dos Gringos, the two F-16 pilots that make the Air Force sound good. Yeah, they do. Great Thank you, songs for coming on the show. Great songs. You you listen to them? Oh yeah, they're hilarious. My kids and still in training listen to them. For, yeah, oh. but those gringos live on in fighter aviation. Oh yeah, yeah, it's it is. They're fighter pilot legend songs, man. They really are. Yeah, they're awesome. They're awesome indeed. So thank you, gents, for letting us use your music to help make our show even better. We can't thank you enough. So until next week, everyone, stay safe. Check six. Don't sit on the ejection seat handle. Right. And don't sit on the collective either, Fig. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs>